the, the phallic has to return. Mm-hmm. And I think what's required here is Jordan would, Peterson has to return. <laughs> yeah. Well, he has to return. Yeah. And yeah, it's a lot of chaos out there right now. Yeah. It's a lot of chaos because Jordan Peterson disappeared and, and this whole new this whole new movement of politics and spirituality that sort of started in America and England is completely it's 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 in a mess right now. You know, if it wasn't mm-hmm. for Eric Weinstein and, if, and a few guys out there who keep sort of try to keep it together, he would be a total mess at the moment. But anyway, uh, the phallic has to return. And I think this is where I might disagree with Peter Field and Jordan Peterson, who has such great hopes for a Christian revival. I think that's done. I, I think they live too much in North America and they don't see what's happening in South America and Europe and other places. Uh-huh. They certainly haven't foreseen the huge disaster that awaits the Catholic Church when it's exposed to having done pedophilia for 2,000 years probably the biggest scandal ever and still to blow up, right? So I think Christianity is done and I think Islam is done. And I think what we're seeing today with the fundamentalisms and, and the scream for returning to Christianity and Islam is just that that's the end of it. That's a, that's a supernova or the, uh, you know, the, the um, what do you call it? The, uh, not the, the, the apocalypse. The, at the end of the, mm-hmm. yeah, the end, the end of history for these two religions, certainly not the end of history for mankind. Because if we go back further down, if you go deeper down to the origins of Abrahamic religion and understand the difference between Egypt and Persia and reinterpret China and America today as the same difference between Egypt and Persia and realize that if you split the phallus and have a triad of power rather than a dictatorship, you're so much better off with absolutely everything else in that society, especially when it comes to creating proper civilization rather than just mimicking your neighbor. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, well, I think the that. difference between you and these guys is that you're lo- you're looking at this from a world perspective, huh? Yes, it's 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 interesting because everybody else is looking at it in terms of the history of the West, and, which is you yeah. can't do that. Uh, I mean, when uh, I started doing philosophy forty years ago, I knew that I'd be pathetic if I didn't break with the Greeks. You have to stop. Citing, reciting the Greeks all the time. It, 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 the Greeks did not start philosophy. It's way, way older. And to understand what the Greeks went right and what the Greeks went wrong, you have to understand Persia and Babylon. You have to understand ancient Egypt. And you also have to understand the East, which is way older and has done these mistakes in the past and also survived them. And the reason why eventually you end up with these sort of pluralistic societies, China and India fundamentally are. I mean, when it comes to religion, they definitely are. Uh, you, you, you have different religions that have different roles. Mm-hmm. So, okay. In Japan, Shintoism is the religion of the military and the priestly religion, right? Mm-hmm. And Buddhism is the religion of the monks and nuns and your own spiritual practices, mm-hmm. and it's a magical religion. Mm-hmm. Perfect combo. Makes sense. Made sense to the Japanese, made sense to the Koreans until they became American, but close to Christians for God knows why. But anyway, and then you come to China, you had Buddhism and Taoism in similar roles. The problem was they left the state to the Confucians. They shouldn't have, but that's where China has a problem that is similar to Europe and the Middle East. Mm-hmm. When it comes to India, that's not the problem. The, the, the problem with India rather was that India happened to be weak at a time when it was invaded by the Europeans was invaded by the Irish before that. It's also a hard it's a country where it's easy to create agricultural abundance, but it's very hard to maintain military force. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the way India has reacted to that is by being more matrical. I call mm-hmm. it an Aikido culture, like Aikido. Like you don't attack anybody, you let them attack you and then you absorb them. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
India is like an alien monster. It's like and then it kind of they kind of explode into violence at the same time. They're very. I think any culture does explode into violence now and then, but probably India less so than other cultures have. Uh, but I'm, I, I think we're moving towards eventually a world where everything is becoming more like India. Uh, and I think that's why we should look to India for culture inspiration. And I think India is much better that. as a model. India is also plural, fundamentally plural. Um, you can't even control India from Delhi. Um, and, and, and these things are great because for the future, I mean, even the European Union, it's, it's not really working. And the reason it's working is because we don't have a daily morning newspaper in Europe that everybody reads. India does. And India had Persian before that as a court language, and it replaced Persian with English in the 19th century. So it has a shared language that they've imported. And because it's imported, it's, it's not native, everybody can speak it. So it's a great yeah. idea to have a court language that you share. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully English can become the court language in Europe in that way. Europe can look to India for inspiration rather than Wales. And Europe and India can do fine. They can be pretty peaceful and hopefully they can get their economic growth going. They get civilization growing again. But, um, mm. but as things are now, it's about America and China. And I'm very, very skeptical about the dictatorship of China. And I hope they fail miserably with the dictatorship model so that China could open up and go for a much more plural model eventually. Yeah, well, China was a bunch of kingdoms at one point, right? It was kind of like yeah. Europe. It was like Europe at one point. Like, yeah, it was united during the Han Dynasty. But before that, China has been split up. It's split up again and again. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of current well, China. One, one historian told me that it's ungovernable, right? Because it's too big. It should be like Europe. It should be just a bunch of... Yeah, the Han Chinese ethnic identity is a myth because actually there's enormous differences between different parts of China. And China also is occupied, of course, half Mongolia. It's occupied East Turkestan. It's occupied Tibet. And they got problems to sort out with that. They're probably just going to populate those places like, like the United States did and keep them. But in any case, where we're going to arrive eventually is that we have to arrive with a China that goes more plural. That is now. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely. Otherwise, we're in a really dangerous place because you and I talked about the censocracy before. We talked about that we're going to head for a society with sensors everywhere, cameras, microphones everywhere, data collection everywhere, uh, our own senses, our own human bodies being connected to these sensors in every possible way. So soccer is also probably going to be the only way we're going to solve, solve the existential crisis. Now, where are the atomic bombs? And how do we solve the climate problem? You know, all those things are going to be down to sensocracy. So it's, it's a very, it's a necessary road forward to arrive at sensocracy. We've got to figure out a model where sensocracy is plural hmm. and so, not demonic. Yeah, right. So not like the Chinese model, but the, the Indian model of sensocracy. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Or possibly the American one. Right. So that's where hope's at. Hmm. Good. So I, I think we're getting close to understanding process and event now in a fundamental way and, and understand the difference between nomadology and eventology. And we can align the two. Uh, we can understand why women tend to go towards the circular and men tend to go towards the linear. And there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that at all. Um, yeah. It's a difference in phallus and matrix and, and it's fundamental to human imagination and, and it should be fundamental to human storytelling. Hmm. Yeah. Into our religion. And what we see is a lot of men going towards the circular, right? These days in yeah. <laughs> the, the cultures that we're being kind of critical about. And 
Well, I, I would. I and that's very, it's almost impossible to say to people. They just, they don't get it. Like, no, no, no. It is, there, there is a point here to that. Men in our society today are going towards 100% psychiatric diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson more than anybody, right? So if every man is psychiatrically sick because he's a man, <laughs> maybe men are looking for manhood in the wrong place. Hmm. This is what happens to the male mind when the male mind so, gets entangled with the circular. Yeah. It's Our becomes, thinking it is becomes en- endlessly psychological or something, right? It doesn't. Well, the, the linear is about purpose. It's yeah. about, I've got a purpose. I've got somewhere I need to go. Uh, it gives me direction in my life. And I've got brothers that I'm going to do it with. So we're going to walk off. We're going to walk off in that direction. And we're going to come back and deliver abundance. Mm-hmm. Now, if men are not allowed to do that, if they live in a society where they can't do that it's any terrible. longer, where they're yeah. totally useless, they will eventually kill themselves for alcohol and other forms of abuse, and, and they will take pills, and they'll be lousy in bed, and women are going to regret it immensely. Yeah, so Why would we kill men like that? Men without a sense of direction, it's, it's a terrible predicament. Yeah, this is what Jordan Peterson actually meant. And if you go deeper than what he talked about and understand, not just like you get up in the bed in the morning, pretend you got a purpose, because then we end up in the world of pretensions that men are living in today. Oh, yeah. We need an actual purpose. We need a a great purpose. Yeah. The guys you work with here, you and I in Europe, in the European men's movement, they're coming back to us now after a few years and say, yeah, I got my shit together. I made the bed in the morning and I go to the gym and I work out. So I get laid. But there's something eerie about going to the gym. When reality, you should be out you go there, by yourself, in nature or, chopping yeah. wood, or you should be out actually nature hunting, yeah. or you should be out doing things that are real. It, it's a bit like it's a bit like jerking off to pornography instead of having a real sex life. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the problem with the gyms. That's the problem with all this theatrical thing. That's the problem with sports. That's certainly the problem with computer games. Computer well, it, games play into these mechanisms, but but he what did Baudrillard call it? What did Baudrillard call it? He called it the uh, I can't remember the world. The, this the virtual world. spectacle. No. What? Oh, the, oh. The, you know oh, the, that's, that's the board. Yeah. Baudrillard called it the um, you know like everybody's living in the matrix or something. It's like you're training okay. martial arts in the matrix, but you're not. We live, we live in a spectacle. We live in a theater. We, we don't live in the real world, right? So yeah. uh, at least here in Scandinavia, there's a great major return to nature among young men. Mm-hmm. Uh, hunting clubs are oversubscribed. They even go shooting guns to learn how to hunt. Simulacrum. Uh, that's the word I'm looking for. Simulacrum. Yeah. Simulacrum. They're yeah. living in the simulacra, the simulacrum or whatever Bojir called it. Yeah. And the ultimate simulacrum is, of course, the computer game. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right? So... If you play video games instead of going out in nature, you lose it. You lose it because it is an eerie sense that this is not real. It's playing into my mind, and it's 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 kickstarting these functions inside of me that are my masculinity. But because I then just see it as a game, and I, I do shootouts and I kill tons of people in here, and it's not a real war, then it just becomes absolutely meaningless, and it numbs you down. Mm. And, and this numbing means you will go into a depression and bipolarity. So. We're seeing now increasingly the 2020s, you're going to see the young men are going towards 100% bipolarity diagnosis. Yeah. Especially among straight young men, at least. So uh, if we don't see this as a massive problem, <laughs> yeah. where are we? This well, yeah, is the uh, Zach Stein said there was a plague of uh, 
in, in that sense, a psychiatric yes pl- a plague. He called it a plague. Yeah. He said it's not serious, and, and I think and he, he didn't sat- say that in in any kind of uh, um, tongue in cheek way. He he really meant it. It's like it's a, it's a plague. Lovely conversation, by the way, between you and Zach. Highly yeah. recommended listening. But anyway, Zachary Stein, and I'm sure Jordan Peters has got to be with us and me, are on a war path here together. We're not on a war path against psychiatry when it's, when it's, when it's deserved, but it rarely is. Today, psychiatry has become an industry dictated by big pharma, and it's all about creating as many pills as possible and put them in, into as many bodies as possible to the largest possible profit. Mm-hmm. And there is no, no function whatsoever to stop pharma from going towards 100% psychiatric diagnosis in our society. And then we're fucked. Mm -hmm. And this is going to start with young men. And we need to get these guys off the pills. We need them to understand that bipolarity is a natural reaction against a sick society. This is where Mm -hmm. Zachary Stein and I probably agree very strongly. Yeah, me too. So to me, this means a return to a relationship between the body and the mind and, and the umwelt, the outside world, that is natural. It works and it functions. That means I'm not going to go vegan. I'm not going to go pacifist. I actually believe that sex and violence has to be reintroduced some way into people's lives. I also believe in a strong return to art. Mm-hmm. So art has died over the last 30 or 40 mm-hmm. years. Yeah, right. Art right. is dead. Oh, I keep saying that. Society. I keep saying that. It's like, I keep saying, that. where's the art? Like, where's like artistic movements, which are, you know, because artistic this, movements are more powerful than political movements. Yeah, it's, it's what I'm lacking in John yeah. Favarkis' talks. It's, it's just, he, he talks about a return to authenticity, but he doesn't talk about the phallic. I mean, he's not even touching the area of art. How could you possibly talk about transcendence and self-transcendence if you don't talk about art? You know, mm. the art experience is the fundamental experience of self-transcendence. It's it, if you don't translate, if you don't change yeah. by going through an artistic experience, it isn't art. It's just decoration. It's not art. The mm-hmm. whole point with art is that it transforms you. You change from the experience. You become a different person when you got out of the experience. That is the whole point with art. Otherwise, it isn't art at all. And that means that since we don't change, we are not... Well, I think, I think participatory culture and Burning Man and these things are actually the best hope we have right now because when it comes to the art scene and when it comes to the art galleries and the white walls in there and, and the sort of blatant commercial exploitation of the branding yeah. of artists and things like that, I think it stinks. I think so maybe that, yeah, art, art is living in these kind of experimental communities like Burning Man. Because it can't really live in the commercial world. It just gets killed. No, it can't be individualist to begin with because mm-hmm. individualism is dead and over. So it has to be participatory. And, and it was always participatory. I mean, you, you, mm-hmm. you, didn't, you didn't care who was the cave painter when you walked into the cave 50,000 years ago. You cared about the transformative experience of, of getting involved with a minor tourist during a ritual in the cave, right? And, yeah. and, and this is also where psychedelics and, and this search for intense experiences come back rightly, properly done. Psychedelics should, of course, be, 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 be in the category of art. It, it's in the category of sex, art, and violence, pathos that I constantly return to in my work. Uh, we cannot talk about logos and mythos only. We have to talk about pathos, the third narrative. That's where sex and art and violence are located. What do you mean by violence? Can you explain what you mean by violence here? Violence is, is outright violence. If I'm, a, I'm a hunter, right? So if I kill a deer and shoot it and kill it, that's violence. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is the confrontation between culture and nature. To contain nature, to keep nature, to 
culture, nature, and also the benefit of nature. It is about eating. I mean, I'm Scandinavian. I eat moose meat. I eat reindeer. I eat, I eat what I hunt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the current fad for veganism, yeah, sure, if you can save the planet by eating more vegetables, I'm fine with that. But the current fad for veganism and pacifism are just, it just, it's just it's so anti-phallic. It's just so aggressively metrical. And, 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 and it, 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 I, I'm always, and pacifism, whenever it rears its ugly head in history, you got to watch out because pacifism is always the precursor to dictatorship in turn. Mm-hmm. Always, always. Through Saul over again. Watch out for it. Watch out for so it. Because, there's, are, because you have to kill to... Yeah, to you can't to keep violence out of it. I mean, it's, it's part of sexuality as well. It's, it's just that what happens is that these guys who call themselves pacifists, they return with even more aggression, but it's passive aggression instead. And passive aggression is much harder to handle. And it's much worse, more venomous, more poisonous. And our society today is full of passive aggression. And yeah. passive aggression is more obvious. And that's related to the mental health, health problem as well, I think. Yes, and speech policing is the obvious example of passive aggression. Mm-hmm. When people turn away from discussing substance and essence in a discussion and they move into tonality and etiquette and they say you must not be seen with that person or you must not be associated with that person, when it goes into tonality and etiquette mode, when it leaves the streets of Paris and moves into the salons of Versailles, it goes passive-aggressive, mm-hmm. it's the precursor to decadence. Camille Pagla would agree with me here. Mm-hmm. Peter Thiel would agree with me here strongly. I'm sure Jordan Peterson would agree with me here too. Mario Yiannopoulos would agree with me here too, the trickster. So the, the, the problem is that the dominant mode of discourse in contemporary Western society in America and Europe, especially coming from academia and from media. It's passive is, aggressive. Yeah, it's passive aggression. Mm-hmm. And it's poisonous like mad. And I have a problem with that also in the spirituality scene we've seen right now. That's what I'm talking about, the phallus, and that's what I'm talking about, pathos. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying these people only talk about logos and mythos all the time, and they go into magical mode, and who dismiss men and say that men are evil because men are men, and shit like that. That part of the spirituality scene, the sort of passive-aggressive, new-agey part of the spirituality scene, is something I'm turning against. Mm-hmm. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I think it's incredibly dangerous. It led to the social justice wars we got running around the street today. It also led to the old right. So mm-hmm. we, we the, the problems we've got today in contemporary society are both coming out of this scene. If you don't want Trump versus Saunders in the new election, which I don't mind, by the way, because I think it's better to have these openly aggressive guys, but you've got to understand they built their powers on empires of passive aggression. And reacting against Trump and Sanders with even more passive aggression is only going to make them more powerful. Yeah, well, agreed. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's where we're stuck. Yeah, we're stuck in decadent times. And passive aggression is bred on. And passive aggression is bred on Facebook. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just it just gets worse and worse because people are spending too much time on social media, and enough. They kind of live in Facebook, aren't they? But, but the <laughs> smug and the arrogant attitude of the passive-aggressive is what's important here. And please note that the passive-aggressive personality has no interest in, in, in solutions to problems. 
Yeah, the, it's an interest in perpetuating the problem because yes, it, because yeah. if you perpetuate the problem, then you're constantly stimulated. Uh, They're interested in keeping the accusation written on the wall to be used at any time when it suits them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So passive aggressive people will tell you you've done something wrong in your past. It cannot be redone. Yeah. You have to live with it forever, and you're not eternally damned because of it. Hmm. Yeah. What you did when you were 17 years old is that's interesting because you, you were talking about Augustine, who came up with the idea of eternal damnation. Yes. Apparently, it wasn't even written in St. Paul. Paul had, no, no, Paul it's had no idea of like you're going to be punished forever. You return like, back a whole hell, but exactly but in you Buddhism, there's a back. hell, but you can you 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 return back. Uh, you go through the hell and you come back, but. No, this is the problem. This is the Manichaean Gnostic heritage within Christianity. And it's what Nietzsche was, you know, ferociously railing about as well, right? Yes, and this heritage starts at the last Persian Empire, when the Zoroastrians are fortunate to pay the price for having been too open and too tolerant for too long, and allowed these new cults, the Manichaeans and the Mastakites, to prosper. And the problem with the Manichaeans was that they hated anything physical. Now, think of the guy in the schoolyard who was a bit ugly or a bit left behind, but he was clever and smart enough to try to do the power games. He would always go after the guys who looked great and and got laid and things like that. And he would turn his revenge against them by saying that anything physical, anything sexual, anything pathic, anything Mm -hmm. you do as a grown-up, he would be against that. He would be against sex. He would be against violence. He would certainly be against art, right? This is the Gnostic. Mm-hmm. And the Gnostic loves the spirit and hates the body. And he especially loves his own spirit because his own spirit is purer and better and superior to other people's spirits. Mm-hmm. Why I don't share John Favarkas' enthusiasm of Gnosticism is that I think he, he misunderstands its origins. Gnosticism starts with the aspiration to be superior to others. Mm-hmm. not to self-transcend. It is to be superior to others. Again, we have to go back to Girard. Well, That's you have to... Girard is like, anyway, you go back know. to Girard of the mimicking and the comparison of the rivalry. And out of rivalry, if, you, if, you, if your mind is sharp, but your body is ugly or whatever, you will go for the spirit as opposed to the body. And you will then regard the entire physical world as evil. And you will okay. take the demiurge from Plato. Plato. And you would turn the demiurge into the evil creator of the physical world. But you, and you alone probably, and maybe a few followers of your sect or your cult, will be the true Gnostics who will then transcend above the rest of humanity and become gods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the worst idea ever. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Gnosticism was to the Gnostic dualism. Absolutely I think maybe Gnostic, I say idea. Gnostic dualism, but because. I'm attached yeah. to certain people who are considered to be Gnostics, but, but, oh, uh, but Gnostic, like, like, uh, but, but Gnostic uh, dualism led to Hitler, right? Yes. <laughs> so, At least Tverki agrees on that. He understands that Hitler is agnostic. And so is Stalin and so are Mao and so are Paul Pot. So if the Silk Route brought all this brilliant thinking and the schools of Sutra and Tantra and the understanding of an omidology and eventology and everything you and I talk about today that we want to go back to and we want to cherish and we want to nurture and return to, if all this is brought through the Silicon to the West and eventually was vulgarized by the Egyptians and the Greeks and it became Christianity and Islam 
And we suffered ever since by going for the pop version of thing instead of the deep version of thing. Probably Christianity and Islam is that after the thought, after the construction of the pop religion, you try to add some depth to it and that's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. We've failed with that in Europe with Christianity. The Muslim world has failed with that when it comes to Islam. So we need to go back further because what we did export back. Okay, can we distinguish between, just a thought, can we distinguish between the pop religion and the popular religion? Because yeah, you okay. need a popular religion, right? But pop no. religion is, is, is uh, I mean, you need well wait, can I just can I just finish though? So so what we did get, what we did return was what I call the dark silk route of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. of course Stalin, Hitler, Mao, and Pol Pot. Yeah. And why China was vulnerable to the Stalinist idea, Stalin obviously running an Orthodox Russia, Hitler running a Protestant Germany, and then eventually Mao was running a Confucian China. And eventually we ended up with the Rossoian Cambodia under under Pol Pot himself. So these disasters is what I call the dark, uh, the dark Silk Route, the, the inverted Silk Route of the 20th century. And, and we, we, we owe it to the East, maybe, to, to uh, take the origin of Eastern religion more careful, more, more respectfully and study deeply. But anyway, you're right. Pop religion and pop, religion. pop, is, pop culture is that it's easy and accessible. Mm-hmm. It's easy access and quick fixes. And yeah. the and, problem and, with religion is that religion was never judged according to its quality as a religion. It was just it was, it was judged only because of its popularity and its usefulness for a specific power structure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the reason why Islam and Christianity became popular was not because people were convinced of being Muslims or Christians, not at all. It was, these were powerful religions. Christianity, because it operated separately from the state, so the state could do anything it wanted, so it became popular with the states of Europe because they kept the church out of state affairs and the church took care of the rest. So you had Christianity on one side and you had everything else on the other side. Separating the two and not containing the state under religion. Mm-hmm. You have the secular state because of it. You have the sacred and the profane operate in parallels. Instead of everything being under the sacred, it becomes sacred and profane o- operating in parallel in Europe. And that's what happened with Christianity. And, and the sacred is kept by the church, it's own monopoly, and it's only interested in keeping that sphere. And it says that mm-hmm. we're all going to die one day and go to heaven. And, and that's the kingdom of God. And that's why we don't care about the current kingdom here. Mm-hmm. It's just like yeah. ridiculous. That, that's the first thing religion should care about, isn't it? Uh, so Islam does the other way around. It, it creates the ummah. And because in Islam, you don't have a pope, you don't have a central authority, you have a local interpretation from the ummah. And Shia Islam is absolutely obvious. You cannot even read the Quran yourself. You're a Shia Muslim. You have to go to a mullah and you have to read the mullah's interpretation of the Quran. And that's the only religion you can have. And because there are new mullahs in every village, you can never unify Shia Islam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's really constant jihad and it's constant civil war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? And in Sunni Islam, at least, you could unify it under a caliphate and, and the caliphate would then dictate the religion. And you could then read the Quran for yourself and you would then agree with the caliph. And if you don't, you get your head chopped off. Mm-hmm. So that's Islam. Uh, Islam's weakness is obvious. They never allow anybody to leave the religion. Uh-huh. Isn't, isn't that the ultimate form of abuse against other people and the ultimate evidence of weakness? 
you do not allow anybody to uh, leave. The, you uh, can't leave. Well, you can't divorce me. Yeah, I think, well, in in Buddhist, in, in a Zen monastery, it'd be like, you, you you would, we would do quite the opposite. You would, you would try to keep people out. You would say, don't come. Yes. Uh-huh. That's what good religion is all and about. And then, and then when you were there, you would say the doors open anytime you want. That's, yep. that's, that's the um, sign of a good religion, right? It's yes. Just, it doesn't need force to, to, to keep. No, it's genuine uh, religion. It, yeah. It's, it's obvious. It's just so yeah, damn so obvious. obvious. Uh, and the only thing you and I've discussed before in our talks and our chats is, is the is that we do like Sufism. It has problems with dualism and it has a strong Gnostic heritage. But what we like Sufism is that it has its origin in Zoroastrianism and Buddhism. And there is a strong Sufi revival going on right now in Iraq and in Central Asia, uh, where a lot of the Sufis are rediscovering Zoroastrianism and Buddhism, and they're turning away from Islam. Obviously, this is because of the Islamic State and all the havoc it has caused, right? So, so yeah. there's a strong revival for that, which I find incredibly interesting. And I, I do welcome the Sufis to go back to Zoroastrianism and Buddhism and study Well, many, many great Sufis like Irini Tweedy would say that, that, that Sufism is, is pre-Islamic. Okay. Absolutely. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. And this is the great thing where Zoroastrianism and Buddhism match. Within Sufism, the phallic version of Sufism is obviously the Zoroastrian heritage, and the matrical heritage in Sufism is obviously Buddhist. That means the nomadological part of Sufism comes from Buddhism, and the eventological part comes from Zoroastrianism. You got the same in Vajrayana Buddhism as well. You have many different schools of Buddhism that mixes Zoroastrian thought into it, especially if you're going to go militant with Buddhism and you're going to do anything that reminds you of a military force or something like that. You need the Zoroastrian, phallic version of Buddhism. And obviously Buddhism has influenced Zoroastrianism too, richly. So these religions are compatible with one another. Uh, to me, they're the perfect combo. If anybody recommends a mix of religions that will work in contemporary society and do a good job at it, I would recommend people to study Zoroastrianism and Buddhism in parallel and, and regard them as phallic and magical. Mm-hmm. Good combo. Rich combo, monistic combo, no Gnosticism, none of that bullshit in there. You're not forced to stay anywhere. You, you, you study the religion there's, deeply. There's no to need to- I'm a religious person. Yeah. yeah. There's no need to proselytize either. Um, no, that's why these religions were not all. as popular as Islam. And I think Ju- Judaism is the same. You don't you don't proselytize. You don't, you know. No, the Christians essentially sent in the military to conquer new territory, and then the missionaries walked in and more or less forced the people who would be conquered to become Christians. That's mm-hmm. how Christianity expanded. Islam expanded by just basically conquering new territory, mm-hmm. and then convincing everybody to become a Muslim. Otherwise, you chop their heads off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, there's a reason why Islam and Christianity became incredibly popular, and why these two mm-hmm. religions still have over one billion followers each, but that should mm-hmm. not impress. That should not impress us at all. I mean, at today, we need to look for solutions to way bigger, more existentialist, deeper problems than Christianity and Islam have ever been capable of dealing with, and we need to look for deep religion, and deep religion is certainly not Islam or Christianity. I, I, I don't find it there. I really don't. This is where I disagree with Gerard. I, I don't think Christianity is the end of religion at all. I think, I think he hasn't gone deep enough to understand that we can have a different ending mm-hmm. yeah. to this to religion. Well, I guess Christi- Christianity, Christianity itself is the religion that says it's the end of religion. <laughs> no. 
this is where Hegel because it's because it's and and uh, this is the hard time I have with Christians is they're always telling you that um there's no other religion than you know no but if you believe in the uniqueness of the West and you believe you can be an arrogant bastard and just ignore the rest of the world you know if you're American or European, have that attitude towards all other cultures like you are superior. No, you're not superior at all. The printing press and the separation of church and state made Europe successful enough to conquer three other continents with cannons and then force the rest of humanity and loads of it to become Christians and call themselves Christians. Now, that's not very impressive. It's, it's like a really bad marriage. Now, can we start with just allowing people to find it for themselves which religion they want to pick and be a part of? Can we just agree on that? Yeah. Can we then go into hard work and deep studies and try to find a better model that this time around has to be imperial? We have to find an imperial model for different cultures to collaborate with one another to solve the current existentialist problems that we have. Okay. And by imperial, you mean a great overarching structure, which which is pluralistic or... Yeah. Mm -hmm. A a plural... Sensocracy, meaning the internet protocol is in itself already the new global constitution. As we wrote in our book, The Global Empire in 2003, we said the global empire is already a fact because the internet itself is a global empire. And you can't move out of it. Not even China or Iran, anybody else can get out of it. They have to be part of it. So that is the way the world communicates today. That is how value is communicated. That is how information Mm -hmm. is communicated. We're all part of the internet. Our laptops and our smartphones have swallowed us. Increasingly, all the other machines are swallowing us. We're being swallowed in technology. We live in a completely technological umwelt. Our bodies are located and also our bodies are becoming more and more technological. Now, that means we're all moving towards a sensocracy. It means the machine will take over the world. And what we're hoping for is the Messiah machine to save us. And the Messiah machine must not be a dictatorship. That's what we learned from history. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because dictators never learn. What? Uh, they I stop guess learning a dictator, no, a, corrupt. a dictator cannot learn. That, that might be a no. definition of a dictator in, in some sense. Yeah. yeah. This is why Judaism goes all the way back to the killing of Tutankhamun and, 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 and to an, a post atonist cult in, in, in Egypt because it, it is to Freud obvious that that's where you have to begin. And the Freudian patricide, the killing of the father, is the killing of of the father who's overstayed his rule. Mm -hmm. And this is the dictator. The the problem with the dictator is not that he becomes the dictator. The problem with the dictator is that once he stays in power, he will only have yay-sayers that surround him. And he will not listen to bad news any longer. And because he will not listen to bad news, he will go corrupt. And because it go corrupt, those who run the society under him will manipulate the population to stay within the corrupt system and worship the dictator. It will all go down in flames. Yeah. It can only end like Hitler and Stalin did. You cannot end in any other way. So that's why maybe um, I'm trying to uh, connect that to what we have called the London spiritual scene and the American spiritual scene and... and uh, there's something about that that is actually feeding the this the the the, the dictator in, in a way. Yes, because the passive aggressive people have no understanding of plurality. 
It's like Trump and them, no, the, it, the it, codependent. It, uh, as soon as somebody's chasing you for your word use, for your tonality, for your etiquette, it's usually the middle class going after the working class. That's what it usually is. But it, it, when somebody's chasing you for your behavior, not for yeah. your ideas. For your oh, be- talk more about that, the middle that, class going after the working class. because That is where dictatorships always start. It, they always start with attacking you, not for your opinions, but attacking you for who you are. For, for 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 where you come from, from your for your tonality, for your etiquette, for your behavior, mm-hmm. they don't even discuss your ideas because they would probably lose if they had to. So they go after you personally, and they do so precisely by pointing out to you you've done a mistake in the past, you're eternally damned, and you must therefore be swept away. Yeah. So you're you're a sinner. Therefore, yeah. you're 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 going to burn in hell for yeah. for eternity. Yes, because your yes. sin cannot be because forgiven. Your sin will, will not be forgiven by God, not well, by it, me, because I'm not oh, really or, responsible, or rather, I won't even take the responsibility of, exactly, exactly. of, 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 I of say, putting that on you. I, I have to say it's God, right? Yeah. Oh, oh there is some lynch mob take on a sort of post-Christian approach to it. And what they say is that if you admit your mistake, if you admit your sin, then you can be forgiven. But what they do then is that they said, oh, because you admitted your sin, you have failed anyway. So you're not part of the future. You cannot be part of the debate. You must be silenced. You must be deplatformed. You must be canceled. You must be canceled. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. Now, these are very, very dangerous times. And uh, I am more adamant than ever that if people get upset about my behavior, my tonality, my ticket, instead of my actual arguments, I will be pissed off with them and probably leave them to it. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go into debates with all kinds of figures from the extreme right and the extreme left and Muslims and Christians and what, what have it. I, I debate with anybody. I'm, I'm totally, totally pro the debate, pro free speech, pro heretics, pro the weirdest, strangest mm-hmm. ideas and try to extend the freedom of thought, the freedom of speech as much as you possibly can today because it's dead important. We live in a nature where this has become the ultimate struggle. Yeah. The ultimate struggle. And uh, uh, that's why I want to keep the internet as open as possible and why I'm adamant that we must keep the algorithm clean and free. And that is to keep the algorithm free both from commercial corruption and from political manipulation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got to keep politics and capitalism out of the algorithm. Out of the internet. Mm-hmm. Out of the internet. Keep the internet free and open. Keep the algorithm free. If Google don't keep the algorithm free and clean, leave Google and go somewhere else when you search. If Microsoft or Amazon are not giving you the proper algorithms anymore, they start to manipulate the algorithms and they let money or politics influence the algorithm, leave. Build your own new algorithm. It's not that hard. You've got to get out of these systems if these systems cannot be trusted. And as far as I'm concerned, it's the two old failed systems called capitalism and communism that are the problem here. Where capitalism really is, I would say, the name of the commercial corruption of the algorithm. And communism, although I'd I'd hate to say it because I love the word, but I think it's properly used today as the word for the political manipulation of the algorithm. Mm -hmm. You immediately discover that this is what... What the, okay, what the so right have, and what the left try to do in America? So that's now. that's great. You have you have Trump versus Sanders again. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. Capitalism versus communism. 
And the solution to that is to be Hegelian and say no to both and build an algorithm outside of US territory that Trump and Sanders cannot corrupt or manipulate so you can keep it clean and free. Because I don't trust the tech giants to be able to do this. I don't trust them to be able to keep the algorithm clean and free. Although they've earned money from putting the advertising on the site, I think political manipulation will be influencing these algorithms increasingly. And when they do, you're not going to get a fair and, and, and just version of how the world operates. The great thing with the algorithm is that it's only possible phallus today. The only possible phallic order we can get in the current chaos is the algorithm. So we need to try to stay in an anarchic mode and, and let things be and try to keep the world as free and open as possible. Yeah. So that's what you liked about the Weinstein uh, conversation, probably, because... With Brett they, Easton Ellis, yes. With Brett Easton Ellis, that's what they were... Oh, I think it's that, wonderful. The, that's what those two guys were half. kind of saying, and they, they, were, they were kind of saying that... Uh, Highly recommended listening, especially the second hour of the Brett, Brett Easton Ellis and, and uh, Eric Weinstein conversation. Not, not only is Brett Easton Ellis brilliant and a real priest today, uh, I would say if you want to listen to guys out there that get it right, Peter Thiel is definitely the guy you should check out, and Bjorn Lomborg is the guy to check out, and Brett Easton Ellis is another guy you should check out. Mm -hmm. So check out these guys. They're right. They're good. They're good guys. They get it. They've got their heart in the right place and they're very, very clever and they get the seriousness of the current situation. Um, and always, always listen to Camille Powell and Jordan Peterson, for God's sake. But it's, it, these guys get it right. And what Brett Easton always manages to do is that he gets the best out of Eric Weinstein too. Mm -hmm. It's a great conversation. The second half of the conversation is... Well, they were kind of lamenting the fact that that the... the the uh, millennial generation um, is is afraid to be edgy, right? Um, to say oh, it's afraid. It's afraid of life. It's is afraid of life and, and saying that it's actually it's afraid of sex. It's afraid of violence and it's afraid their of generation, afraid like of generation generation X or whatever it's supposed to be called, or, or my generation, or maybe you're a bit older than me, but is is uh, uh, at least in that generation there was there was a kind of edginess and. Uh, extreme tolerance uh you know because i think all of the stuff that people are celebrating today um like uh well they're not celebrating this, anything they live in a very yeah, no narrow but i know but there's this like uh, there's there's this ideology that are, of tolerance today right but there's but no tolerance it's not, it's not, it's but there's not no tolerance, tolerance. But, no, but back at, at least in the 90s in the beginning when Pagli was around and, and that kind of thing there was like a there was this, a kind of uh, a real kind of tolerance or, or uh, people didn't give a shit about gender or, you know. I think it is postmodernist. And the reason why people mm -hmm. still live in a postmodernist paradigm is because they're allowed to play around with logos and mythos as, the, as if these two are the only narratives that exist. And then they say, well, there cannot be anything that's logos. It can only be mythos. And because it can only be mythos, there can only be power behind what you say. So it, mm. if you're a powerful person, you must keep your mouth shut and the powerless must speak. And then society comes to stand still and it implodes. Um, because it's about who speaks. It's not about what's like being said. In long you, you, you've left completely the debate. It's no longer about what's being said and the quality of what's being said. It's all about who speaks. Now, if, if that means you moved into kindergarten territory and you're no longer a grown-up. And this is the shift. And the reason why postmodernism is around what we're working with on the new book, Sedekvist and I, 
is that we want to explode postmodernism by bringing pathos back into the picture. Because when pathos comes back into the picture with sex and art and violence, it becomes absolutely clear that there wasn't a, a mythic monopoly at all. But Logos, Mythos, and Pass are three different stories that need to be told. And they're totally different, totally different purposes in, in, in the general grand narrative. The grand narrative has to contain all three. Logos is, of course, science and reality. And, and Mythos is a story we tell each other about moving ahead the next day. It's all about getting on the move the next day. That today is Netflix when Netflix it's, it's at its best, even if Netflix is becoming too politically correct too. So it, it's, pathos uh, is sexuality, uh, right? And yeah. art and, and violence and, and, and brutal yeah. interruption. It's the real in Shatla Khan. It's, it's, mm. it's when the real interferes with the imaginary and the symbolic orders. Mm. So the imaginary and the symbolic, again, are mythos and logos. And then comes pathos into the picture, the real. And when the real mm. comes into the picture, it explodes. The coronavirus mm. has just done it. September 11 did the same thing. It's, it's when the thunderbolt hits you and hits your society and suddenly everything is shaken up and you don't know who to trust any longer and you realize you live in a very contingent world where you can't trust yourself, right? Mm -hmm. That is something you need to be constantly reminded of. And that's what sex does. That's what art should do. And that's why art is dead today and needs to be resurrected. And that's also what violence is all about. So the, these forces are pathic. I say pathos is what you don't want your children to know about yet but you know mm. your children will have one day have to be confronted with because without being confronted with pathos, they cannot be grown-ups. Mm -hmm. mm. That means if you want to avoid pathos, you try to escape it and you live in, in a Gnostic age where you got millennials who are incredibly Gnostic and obsessed with tonality and etiquette and decadence in, in the worst possible sense. That is a very dangerous time to live in. Mm. Yeah. We're going to see increased censorship and increased passive aggression all over in society. Oh, not 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 more. No, please, really. Increase. Yes, yes. Oh, we just oh we just seen the beginning of it. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> oh God, I don't think We're I can, I don't think I can survive any more passive aggression. I really do. I think I, it's just gonna. I, I don't think I can do it anymore. Well, the only proper response is to be openly aggressive. I guess so. I guess that's what I need it's to, to be loudmouth. It's to I be need to learn to be a. I need to learn to be more of a, you know. Well, or support people who are. But, but stand mm -hmm. with the tricksters. Stand with the tricksters. For me, it's the people who attack and and try to ignore Malianopolis who are the ones who are really dangerous today. For me, he Malianopolis has been defended by Camille Paglia, Jordan Peterson, Alexander Bard, and we all defending the guy because he's a genuine trickster. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you support his ideas, although oh. I do to a certain extent. But it, it's important. Well, you don't. You're not a figure you're not a, that he is. I don't think even he does. You support that figure. The tricksters are more important than ever. And if people go after the tricksters, the scapegoat, the tricksters, which is what the passive aggressive lynch bombs are doing today, then that's a sick society. Yeah. So do the trickster test. Yeah, that's, All you that's, guys really, that's, that's really important. Do, that's that's important. It's not about me and you. It's not about no, Andrew no. and Alexander. No, no, no. It's, it's about who is going after the trickster or tries to ignore the trickster, who's scapegoating the trickster. And the trickster is going to make you feel uncomfortable, him? right? The trickster yes. is not, no, not going to feed you pablum or, or, or even stimulate you intellectually in the way you want to be stimulated. He's going to, no, 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 no. He's going to be tough and it's going to hurt. And, and, it's, it's and going he's to be, needed. Uh, he's but it's also necessary. Yeah. 
he's the guy test the free speech. He, he tests your freedom of thought. And if you embrace him and say that, no, he's the trickster. He should be allowed to speak that way. He should be allowed to spit at the king he wants to. He should be, he should be allowed to turn power upside down whenever he wants to and question all the norms that we've taken for granted. That's what the trickster should do and must do. And the tricksters are now more important than ever. And anybody who goes mm-hmm. after the tricksters day is not a friend of mine any longer. Mm-hmm. That's how serious I'm about this now. It's just that I am tired of the passive aggressive lens pop. I am tired of people protecting their own asses because they protect their careers. I'm tired of that. I, I, I find no respect left for that whatsoever because it's even worse, even worse than being a sort of leader of passive aggressive lynch mob is to play with that lynch mob and say that, but I can't risk my career. I can't risk these things. So I have to let the lynch mob do whatever he wants to. Those are the people you disrespect the most at the end of the day. Those are the people who totally lack integrity. And among men, we call them, these are the guys who lack dick. Yeah. Right? The non-phallic. They're, they're cuckolds. That's another word for it. Yeah. Yeah. God. Oh, man. Isn't it funny that Peter Thiel and Bjorn Lomborg and Brackiston Alice are all officially gay? Yeah, well, I think the trickster, the gay, the gay, the, the gay guy is, 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 is born to be. Uh, I'm not sure they are gay. I'm, you know, I live in a male bonding relationship myself. So I live with another man, but I've got a girlfriend. Uh, I'm not sure we would define them as gay in the traditional sense, but if they're not gay, they're definitely shamanic. So mm-hmm. the shamanic guys are the only ones we can trust right now. Great talking to you, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think our concerns started to bubble up towards the end. Uh-huh. Yeah.